Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. We are picking up from a series we started last week. We're talking about the fact that there are a lot of critics of the church today. Even the people that don't go to church are criticizing the church. It's in decline. It's this, it's that. Uh, and what we said we wanted to do is rather than listen to what everybody else and their brother has to say about it, we wanted to look at what Jesus has to say about it. So we've been walking through the book of Revelation and uh, looking at things that Jesus said uh, to the churches in the first part of the book of Revelation, and we said we want to look at specifically, now there's a lot of theology there and a lot of good information, and we said later on down the road we're going to do a, a series on the book of Revelation on the theological and spiritual impact of it. Right now we're just looking at Jesus' letter, the part that he wrote to the churches, where he pointed out, here are some things that the churches are doing wrong, you know, they could get better at. We're not perfect. We're human. We make mistakes. Uh, and we kind of get stuff wrong. You're going to see that. Uh, here's what they're doing right. Because he also points out, hey, here's what you guys are doing well. You're doing this, like, really well. And keep doing it. Don't stop. So we want to know what that is that we're doing well. Uh, or we should be doing well. Because he says this is a good thing to do. But there's also some things that we want to look at. And we want to get better at doing it. We want to do them better. We want to make sure that Jesus is being glorified in the things that we do. Uh, so last week, uh, here's what we started with. We asked, what do you guys think? And we asked for your feedback. What say ye? We were talking in King James last week. But we said, what say ye? What do you guys think that serves some things that we are doing good? Here's some things specifically in Crossroads that we can do better. We got a lot of feedback from you guys. But two of the things we can address quickly and, and, and get better at doing, okay? Uh, one of the things that was brought up was uh, when people are sick, they're in the hospital. People are always going to get sick. But someone said, we need to do a better job at understanding if someone's in a hospital, whether or not they want visitors. And if someone's in a hospital, for those that do want, hey, I want to know that my church family is there for me, and I want them to come visit me, I want to be encouraged by them, then we want to make sure that happens too. Now, there's not a mechanism that we can create to make that happen. There's no program or ministry. If you create a program or ministry to make that happen, it's only going to happen if the sick person lets someone else know, yeah, come visit me. And some of you guys remember weeks ago when I, you know, when Karen got back out of the hospital, Karen Hathorn, uh, I told you guys she wants your calls and your encouragement. But when she's in the hospital, she has made it crystal clear, don't come see me. And some of you are the same way. You're, you're sitting in the hospital, you're sick, you're feeling like poo and not Winnie the. And you don't want people traipsing in saying, how are you feeling? Because you know you're not feeling at your best, you're not looking your best, you don't want visitors. But at the same time, that could change because the same individual that says, I don't want visitors, I don't want visitors, they're in here a while, they may, may feel like, hey, I want someone to come and like say hi, pray for me, let somebody show me that they care. But the only way that that's going to happen is if the sick person, so I use me as an example, if I get sick and I'm in the hospital 
I'm gonna, depending on how I feel, I'm gonna tell Christy, nobody show up. I, I, I don't want anyone here. Or, yeah, if people want to come, let them, let them know I'm okay, you know, come, come, come see me. And so it's dependent upon you communicating to us what you want, even if it changes. Because you may say 10 times in a row, you know, if you're in a hospital, I don't want visitors. The 11th time, you may be like, I want someone to come see me. But the only way it's going to work is if you communicate to us. Now, some of you may have a standing, thou shalt not ever visit me in the hospital, okay? And we can say amen to that. We know. Uh, even, don't call. Because if I'm feeling really bad, I don't want to have to answer the phone 10 times or whatever. It's all good. Just let us know. We'll send cards or we'll let your family members know, hey, yes, 20 people asked about you, but we did not violate your space. But you have to let us know. Here's the key. You have to let us know. Don't complain, hey, nobody came to visit me in the hospital if you didn't call anyone when you were in the hospital. Right? Because we're not going to know unless you let someone know. So does that, does that make sense? Yep. Is, that, is that like going to work for everybody? It forces us to communicate, but then it also will allow us to respect whatever uh, your wishes are. Now the other one... Uh, was when someone is missing, when someone is missing, that was a, a, a key a key thing. Is if someone like if Andrew hasn't been around for a while, if we're going on three, four, five weeks and we haven't seen Andrew, uh, the thing that someone said we could do better is on following up to make sure Andrew's okay. Now, there isn't a mechanism that's gonna make that work either, except for us as human beings. Picking up the phone and calling Andrew and saying, hey, how's Andrew? That's the only way it's going to work. If I see any, Andrew hasn't been here in like three or four weeks. First two weeks he said he was going on vacation. Now it's four or five weeks later. And it's not about Andrew, you need to be in the Sunday celebration. It's about me, a friend of Andrew, wanting to know that Andrew's okay. And that doesn't work unless we take up the phone or text or tweet or Snapchat or wherever you communicate with whoever's missing and say, how are you doing? And now here's what happens. Everyone wants the pastor to make that phone call. When the pastor makes that phone call, people immediately assume it's because they haven't been at the Sunday celebration. Christy and I were at a restaurant. We ran into someone who hasn't been here in ages. And we were like, hey, how are you doing? We, we, we heard you guys going through some medical stuff. How's everything going? Blah, blah, blah. That was our first response. How are you? Their first response was, yeah, we got to get back to church. It's not about you getting back here. It's about how are you doing? Are you okay? If Andrew is like, yeah, I just took a couple weeks off. I've been there every Sunday, you know, for the last six years. I just needed some Sunday mornings to sleep in. Hey, that's great. I just want to know Andrew's not lying in the ditch somewhere. Or in a hospital, and he didn't call. You know what I mean? It's all about, we, we said last week, we have to be crossroads, us specifically. Now we're not talking about anybody else, crossroads. We have to be biblically based. Has to drive what we do. Okay? We have to be community based. We can't just be about what goes on in here. Because that's not what the church is. The church is supposed to be about getting the word out there. Has to be biblically based, have to be community based, but we also have to be people based. People are important. And if they don't matter to us, they don't matter to the church. How do you think all these other people are going to think about people who don't have a God who loves them and cares about them? 
Alright, so, uh, is that, that too, is that, does that work for everyone, or is that, okay, alright, so here's what we're going to do, I'm going to go through a lot of scripture uh, this morning, um, but I want you to follow along, so if you have the Bible, pull it out uh, to the book of Revelation and go to chapter 2, while you're doing that, let me show you quickly uh, where we are and where we're jumping to, book of Revelation, letter written by John, because Jesus Christ showed up and said, John, take a memo. And when Jesus Christ shows up and says, John, take a memo, you, you know, if you're John, you take a memo. If you're anyone, you take a memo. Uh, so John writes this letter, and, and here's how he addresses it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Now, it's unlikely that John originally would have addressed this to just those seven churches, but Jesus, as we're about to see, goes through and says to this church, to this church, to this church. John doesn't list them out in this order, but uh, we're going to read them in a minute. But there's the church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, I said last week, there were more churches in that region. More congregations, more communities of believers. But it's likely that he picked those seven, because as we're about to read through this week and next week, he says, here's things that you're doing good, and here's things that you're doing bad. And if you put that all together, those things that you're doing good, Jesus wants to see in a church, and those things that you're doing bad, he doesn't want to see in a church, regardless of what age you're in, regardless of what area you're in, what city, what country, Jesus has laid out, here are the things that should be going on in the church. And here are the things that should not be going on in the church. And it should be applicable to every congregation that calls itself a church. Okay? So with these seven churches, by pulling out these good characteristics and these bad characteristics, we get a perfect picture of what Jesus wants to see in the church, but also the things that he has no desire to see in the church. Now, this week we're going to start with the positive. Uh, just because I don't want people leaving depressed, like, man, because Jesus really rips into a lot of these churches. Uh, so turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1, uh, and he starts to the church in Ephesus. Now, again, I'm not going to go into all the, the spiritual things because he introduces himself in a spiritual way, and it's relevant because he introduces himself a little bit differently to each church based on his relationship with them and the things that he sees there. Uh, time won't permit me to go into detail about that. What I want to look at is what he says is good and what he says is bad. All right? So, starting in chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in the Ephesus right. Now, let me stop there. Uh, and I said this last week. Some people say that he's writing this to an actual angelic being. The word angel means messenger. Okay? So John is dictating what Jesus said. Now, think about this. If Jesus wanted to talk to an angelic being, would he have to come down to John and say, John, write a letter to this angel? Yeah. It's likely... And again, I'm not Jesus, but it's likely that the messenger, what most theologians believe, is that it was either a bishop or a pastor over each of these congregations. Some of them were smaller, and there was just one congregation with all the people meeting in homes, and they'd come together and worship. Some of them were bigger, where they were meeting in homes, and then they'd come together over here, and they'd come together over here, and they'd come together over here. But there was a point person 
over each of these congregations, whether it be a bishop over multiple one or a pastor over a single one. And here's the key. Here's the key. And I'm not trying to elevate and say pastors are all that. But if the pastors don't get it, what Jesus expects from the church, then the people in the church won't get it. If it's not flowing from the Bible through the pastor to the congregation, then you will have what we see today, congregations that are a little bit off, some of them way off, uh, in their thinking. But he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And I wish I had time to get into that because there's a lot of scripture stuff, but when we do our series on Revelation, go into all that. Verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Well, that's crucial. Because Jesus is saying, hey, I know you guys are toughing it out. I know you're doing hard work. I know you're persevering. You're sticking it out through the hard times, through the bad times. And he says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. And the testing was by the word of God. There is no other test other than this. If anything, and I've told you guys this a hundred times, if you hear me saying something that doesn't line up with this, come ask me. I make mistakes, I may say a wrong chapter, or a book, or read something, but come ask me. Because if I start straying from this, then I am not following Jesus, and we're not going to go on the right path unless you guys come and put me on the right track. You know, if I start preaching something weird, there are things that... You guys grew up, and you guys grew up, everyone grew up with subtle differences in understanding this with this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that teach that this isn't real, that Jesus isn't God, and that the things in this, I can change at will. That's not the way God works. Alright? So, here's what he says. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown Weary. Now, I want to stop there for a minute because one of the things he points out is that you guys have persevered and you've endured hardships. And usually, especially in small churches all over the nation, and according to whatever poll, I forget which one, uh, like 90-something percent of the congregations in the United States are composed of small churches less than 200 people. Actually, 95, I think it is. But... Uh, all the big giants, 700, 300, 500, whatever, uh, they're in the minority. The small churches and communities like this that bring people together and go out and do and persevere. Praise God for the people from Beulah that, 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 and some of you are still here, that when it got down to like 10 people, didn't say we're calling it quits, we're done. Praise God for all the small churches that say we're going to persevere and do the work that God has called us to do because Jesus says, I know that. And I want you to persevere. And it's not going to be easy. And he knows the hardships that we're going through, okay? All right. So, I'm going to keep going. This is all going to make sense when we get to that. Next, to the church in Smyrna. Jump to uh, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life. Again. Now, verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. And there are a lot of congregations that feel like, we can't do anything because we don't have money. And I got to tell you, and again, I'm not trying to brag or, or whatever, but we do a lot of stuff and we don't have money. I mean, we are considered living 
paycheck to paycheck, week to week. Uh, 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 and, and, and although uh, that's the place that we are, and I shared this last week, the giving that you guys have done is above, almost double, the national average. Almost triple the national average of 2 or 3% from the larger churches. And the things that, and I've heard Larry say this and other people say this, the things that we do to only have so many small people are more than what a lot of people do. And God says, yeah, keep doing it. And there's another church, Laodicea, who they were wealthy, but Jesus looks at them and says, hey, you're physically wealthy, but you're spiritually poor. And he looks at this small congregation, he says, you're physically poor, but you are spiritually rich. You don't understand the resources that you have. And I've said before, our biggest resource is not money. It's you guys, the human resources, the time that you give, the talents that you bring to serve God are one of the greatest resources that we have. All right? So he goes on and he says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And, and it's possible, we don't know what the slander was, but it's possible, and this is what happens in the church today. In the book of Acts, Paul went out and preached the gospel, uh, saying Revelations, I'm going to put up here, and he came under a lot of slander. In Acts 13, 44, this is the Amplified Version. It says, the next Sabbath, almost the entire city gathered together to hear the word of God concerning the attainment of Christ of salvation and the kingdom of God. Praise God for that. whole city came out for something other than a sailor's day. Came out to hear the word of God preached. Praise God for I'm not hating on the steelers, don't get me. Alright, but when the Jews saw the crowds filled with envy and jealousy, they contradicted what was said by Paul and talked abusively, reviling and slandering him. And here's the thing, this is this is this is um, uh, what's gonna happen with us. It doesn't matter what we do. If we keep doing what God tells us to do. People are going to talk about us. People are going to hate on us. People are going to... And, and it, don't take it personally. Right? It took me a while to say, I can't take it personally. They're not mad at you. They don't know you. They're mad at what God is doing through you. And if they get mad at you because of what God is doing through you, then you should rejoice that people that don't know God see God working in you, even if it upsets them. Right? Now, we don't want to upset people, but we're not going to stop doing what God has called us to do. He says, continuing uh, in verse 10, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, we don't know what that persecution was, but God does. We don't know uh, um, um, how harsh it was, but God does. And we're going to suffer persecution. We're going to have people come against us and people are complaining because the government's doing this and talking about this and the churches and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter what they do. God knows. God knows our individual trials and suffering. He knows our corporate trials and suffering. He knows the trials and suffering that his church is going through. Right? He says, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, the good thing is the crown of life, not a physical crown, we don't like get a princess tiara type thing, but at the end point, God will give us the crown of life. Here's the thing that we do get right now, and this is, this is, this is awesome. We get the knowledge that the next time we go through a trial, we don't have to stress over it, we don't have to worry about it, because God knows what we're going through. 
We don't have to like worry and fuss whether it's a medical trial, whether it's a financial trial. They're going to keep coming, whether it's someone talking bad about us or have, you know your frenemies on Facebook talking about you. That's going to happen. Doesn't matter. The crown that we get immediately is knowing that hey, God knows this. He's going to take care of it. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to go out, cry and throw a fit because people are talking bad about me or because trials are coming because they're going to come. All right. So next. Drop down to verse 12, to the church in Pergamum. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. Now that's key. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Now, you guys know that they're maybe not here, but they are slaughtering Christians like crazy in other countries, right? I mean, you guys see that on the news? And, and I don't mean like one or two or whatever. I mean literally by the hundreds slaughtering them just because they say, I know Jesus. And what Jesus is saying, hey, for us, we're not experiencing that yet. All we're experiencing is people who are ripping into this, complaining that we follow this, trying to tear this down, and trying to tell us that this doesn't matter. We got a government that sometimes yes, sometimes no. We got people in the community, and, and here's what Jesus is saying. This is this crucial: stay true to this. And, and 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 let me tell you that I'm not trying to be like a doom and gloom guy, but. I don't see it getting much better for Christ followers in this nation. I don't see it going to a point like we're in the 50s where people were showing up in church and everyone's happy. If you were a Christian and you know all that kind of stuff, everyone's happy and you get to say Merry Christmas and no one filed a lawsuit because you told them Merry Christmas or all this kind of stuff. I don't see it getting much better. But even if it gets worse, what Jesus says is stay true to this. Must be biblically based. All right. Uh, now, let me jump over to uh, to the church in Thyatira, verse eighteen. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write: These are the words of the Son of God, who, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds. Note the progression. Same thing. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance. And here's the key thing, in that you are now doing more than you did at first. And this is key. We have to, we have to, we, we did this a couple of months ago. We had a whole, not a couple of years ago, we had a whole summer series called Do Something. Where it was basically inspiring people to, hey, do something other than show up on Sunday morning. Because what Jesus is saying here is, I know that you're doing something. You're not just sitting and, and talking about being a good Christ follower and talking about leading others to Christ. You're actually engaged in doing something. And here's what James says. Um, in the book of James, James writes this. Now James is the brother of Jesus, and he writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith, you claim to be a Christian, I am a Christian, i got a bigger Bible than everybody, I have like... You know, two other ones in my pocket, yada, 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 but has no actions to prove it. Is such faith able to save him? 
Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and someone says to him, Shalom, which means peace, keep warm and eat hearty. Without giving him what he needs, what good does it do? Thus, faith by itself, unaccompanied by actions, is dead. It means absolutely nothing if we gather here every Sunday morning, I said this last week, if we fill this place, three services, four or five services a week, every Sunday morning with people, who sing the songs and hear me yap and then go out and do absolutely nothing. I would rather have it filled with a few people who go out and engage in their community, who share the gospel, who spend time with others, who try to meet the needs of people, who, like we said, our business, who go and create right there, one or two, three people or whatever, create places where other people can experience God. That's what we're supposed to do. Right? Now, Moving on, and this is where it gets really interesting. To the church in Sardis, chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. And we have to stop there because that's the only positive thing he has to say about this church. If you read a couple of verses down, I think it's chapter, verse 4. Here's, here's the only other semi-positive thing he says. You have a few people who haven't screwed things up. That's it. Nobody wants to be the church where if Jesus shows up in your celebration, he says, hey, we've got a few people that haven't screwed things up. It's like um, high school. If you remember high school, some of us have blocked it out for good reason. But in high school, when the teacher's handing out tests, and she's like, hey, Johnny, yeah, you got an 85. Good for you. Oh, you got an A minus. I see you were trying. And you, Floyd... Yeah, you took the test. There you go. That's it. That, that, that's what Jesus is saying to this church. You're not doing anything. Your faith isn't strong. We'll get into the negative stuff uh, next week and the things that we can do better. But that's it. Now, to the church in Philadelphia. Drop down to verse 7. And he says this. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens... No one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. He says, I know your deeds. And this is key. He says, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And most theologians believe that the open door is not like, and I know some, and there is a spiritual aspect to it, but it is physically Jesus saying, hey, I have opened a door for you guys to evangelize this community. No one can stop you from sharing the gospel. Go and do it. Alright? And then he says, I know that you have little strength, and I get it. You know, churches are weary. Uh, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Again, staying true to the name of God, to his word. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come down and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Jesus is saying there's an open door. Go through it, because if you go through it, there's going to come a time where even the people that hate you, Jesus says, I will make them acknowledge that you are loved by God. And there are so many 
people in this community, all around the city, all around this all around this area, that don't know that there is a God that loves them. And all he tells us is go. I'm holding the door open, go. Uh, let me finish up quickly. To the church in Laodicea, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. And again, we got to stop there because that's the only positive thing that he has to say about this church. Now, here's what I want to hear, right? If you pull all of the positive things that he said to all of these churches, okay, and you put them together, if it's representative of all of the churches and all of the ages, here's what Jesus wants to see. Uh, here's, here's what we have. He has to the church in Ephesus, he says, persevere. Don't give up. Don't stop. To the church in Smyrna, he says, I know your trials. I know who hurt you. I know who comes against you. I know your limitations. I know what you're going through. To the church in Pergamum, he says, stay faithful to his name and to his word. To the church in Thyatira, he says, do something. Don't just gather. Don't just sit. Don't just say you're a Christ follower. Be a Christ follower. And to Philadelphia, he says, use the open door and share the gospel. Now again, if we pull all of this out, that he put to each of these letters, and say to each of these churches, uh, and, 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 and smash it together, this is what we get. Now, what we're about to read, you won't read it like this in the Bible, but this is again, a Floyd literal translation. To the church in America, right, these are the words of him who created the heavens and the stars, whose words are the sword of God, who was born to die so that you might live, who is one with the Father and who gives the Spirit of the Father to all who call on my name. This is what Jesus would say, if you pull out everything he said to those churches, this is what he would say to the church in America. He would say, persevere. And hold on to this and every single trial. Because he knows that we're going through that. Stay true and faithful to the word of God. And the one who is the word of God. Despite what is going on around you. Doesn't matter what the culture says. Doesn't matter what other congregations choose to do. But to the church in America. If you want to be the church. If you want to be the called of God then this is what we need to do. And he says, I am holding open a door for every one of you to do something, anything, to share the gospel, because the time is short. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church in America. Does that make sense? That if you pull out all, all the things that he said to you, all of these churches... And you mash them together, you get this mix of what we just read, of what God calls the church in America to do. And I know that if you look on the news or Facebook or whatever, you'll see all these other things that contradict that. That says, hey, the church needs to give in. The church needs to just let itself die. There's a lot of people saying, hey, the church is done in America. You know, had a good run, but it's over. There are a lot of people saying that, hey, uh, I know the church tends to believe in this, but this is what we as a nation believe now, and so the church needs to get on board with that. 
But that's not what God calls us to do. He calls us as a congregation and as individuals to share the gospel despite what's going on around us. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand up. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray kind of through this before we close out this song because regardless of what, this is not just, I'm not just saying this for Crossroads. This is applicable to any congregation in America. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and, and just pray with me before we uh, lift up in song. God, we pray that we, not just us, but every church, regardless of denominational affiliation, regardless of political affiliation or aspirations, that every congregation that calls itself the called of God, that we would do what you have written in your word and called all of the churches in every age to do that first and foremost, that we would persevere, that we would keep faithful to your word, that we would not just be a, a, a group or organization that gathers on Sunday morning, that we would do something, anything to take your word outside of the four walls and into the communities, into the streets, into the schools, into the government, into the businesses, into the police stations, into the fire halls, into the homes of people that need to know that there is a God that loves them. And God, we pray that we would be faithful in this, that we would adhere to your word, that we would be Biblically based, guided by your word, your Holy Spirit guidance. Not what Floyd thinks, not what some other pastor thinks, not what a group of elders thinks, but what you, Lord and Savior and Creator, have told us is your revelation of yourself and your word. And God, we pray that we would just honor your word. Honor your son. Salt your name in everything that we do. And we acknowledge this is not just a call to crossroads. This is a call to every congregation. And we know as the National Day of Prayer approaches that there are going to be congregations that do something and there are going to be congregations that do absolutely nothing. But we pray that as individuals, as congregations, as Christ followers, that not just then, but now and every day, we would band together our heads and lift our hearts to the one who saved us. We pray this in Jesus' name.